0: Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 verses 7 through 11, Luke chapter 14 verses 7 through 11. Uh, so if you were here last week, or if you haven't if you weren't here last week, we had been going through a series on the book of Acts, um, but we've, we have paused that series uh, for the rest of this year. We'll come back to it uh, in the future. but're we're, we're doing a series, we're going to look through this passage or this verse that's well known. We all know it. Um, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And so for the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this verse and what we can learn from it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So the idea of this, and as we look at this, we're thinking through and preparing, hopefully, for this idea of revival. Not an event that we're planning for, uh, but something that happens within our hearts. Something that happens within the hearts of many people that gather together and happens within a church. And this is what we see in 2 Chronicles where um, the temple has been built and God is talking to Solomon. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'll be with you like I was with your father David. If you follow me like he did... But if you don't, there will be punishment, but if my people, and that's the idea, is that if you are under God's punishment, if God's people were under his punishment, and they turned to him in this way, he would heal and forgive them and and restore them. And so when we look at our lives, and we look at where we may be in our lives, and we think about the idea that, you know, I really would like to see God moving in my life, in my church, in my community, in my world, in a way that I've seen him move before. I've heard about him moving before, but at the moment it doesn't feel like it's happening. I feel like maybe I'm a little far from him. I feel like things aren't going the way that I would want them to go. This is what we're seeking, is how we can seek revival. There's a passage in Psalms we read as we were going through our psalm study. Lord, revive us again. This idea of needing God to revive us. And so last week's sermon was about really the first word of that passage, if. It says, if my people, if. And and the whole idea of it is that if we want to see revival, our if must become an I will. I will seek the Lord. I will do these things. And so as we look at this idea, as we go forward, that was what last week was, is our if must be and I will. This week's sermon is titled Intentional. We must be intentional in this process, specifically in relation to humility and in prayer. The pursuit of humbling ourselves before God and going to Him in prayer is an intentional thing that we do, it does not happen on accident. The word humble means to lower, to have a low estimation or a humble estimation of oneself or uh, an, an application of that to lower your view intentionally or to have a lower view of yourself in, in the way you view yourself and in the way you assert yourself. Perhaps the funniest story or the funniest thing I've ever seen about the idea of humility um, came from actually Donald Trump. I don't really, it doesn't really matter how you feel about him. This is objectively funny. Uh, he was in an interview. Um, I think it was with Barbara Walters on 60 Minutes. And she made the statement to him you're not known to be a humble man, but I wonder, and he cuts her off and says, I think I actually am humble. I think I'm much more humble than you would understand. And the idea of this is the least humble thing you can do is to brag about how humble you are. Um, but the idea of humility means to lower ourselves, to place ourselves in an appropriate position before God. And so we're going to look at what that means. Jesus shares a parable in Luke chapter 14 about Humility. We're going to pick up there. Luke fourteen seven through 11. When he had noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who has invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us, this time that we can come together, that we can look at your word, that we can seek after you. God, I pray that that is what we would do this morning, that we would be people who are called by your name, who are humbling ourselves before you, praying, seeking your face. Father, I pray that you hear us. I pray that you would work among us and that you would do an amazing thing in the lives of the people here in New Bethel and in Evansville and all of the world. I pray that you would move today and, and convict us and challenge us to follow you more faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, the first thing we see that we need to do by looking at both of these passages, thinking about this idea of humbling ourselves, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we need to intentionally humble ourselves before God. We must intentionally humble ourselves before God. There is a clear call all throughout Scripture scripture to be humble in our relationship to God. So, what does that mean? We are submitting to Him. You cannot submit to yourself to someone unless you are lowering yourself below them. That is what submission is, saying, I am not going to assert my authority, I'm not going to assert my place, but I will lower myself and be obedient and submit to this person. The call from God is to humble ourselves, and if we want to see renewal in our lives, a revival in our lives, or in our church, or in our world, we must humble ourselves in our pursuit of... Of God, This command is clear all throughout Scripture. One of the most notable is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Why is humility such a big thing in our relationship with God? Because pride, the opposite of humility, the assertion of oneself, often above others... Is one of the greatest roots of all sin that we encounter. Think about the the, the first sin we read of in the Bible, the fall. The temptation presented to Eve was that you won't die. You will become like God. You will become like God. Why was Satan thrown from heaven? By seeking to usurp the throne of God. The pride that he had, the pride that we have, is what leads us into sin. Because sin ultimately is saying, God's Word says this, but I want to do this instead. When we do that, when we sin, when we know the law of God and we sin, what do we do? We say, God, the Creator of all things, the Maker of heavens and earth, my Creator, my Savior, if you're a believer says this thing, but I think I want to do this instead. I want to do this. And what is that elevation of ourselves above God in our lives? By obeying our will, obeying our desires, rather than the desires of the one who has made us. So what should humility look like? We see the the greatest example of humility in Jesus we read about in Philippians chapter 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself to nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, we see Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to be among His people and what does he do? Does he assert himself as the king of all creation, as he would have rightfully had the right to do? No. He humbles himself, serves, heals, teaches, loves, forgives, and ultimately humbles himself to the point of going to the cross. Why? So that those people that he loves, that have rebelled against him, might have a way to be saved and forgiven for their sins. He has lowered Himself so that we might be able to be raised up in new life with Him. But we must be sure of one thing, that that humility seen in Jesus is not a, an abandonment of who He is and His nature, but it is an example to follow and an avenue for our salvation. Because Jesus is the name Above all ever na- above every name, and one day, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But here comes the situation: We can humble ourselves, or we can be humiliated. We see this in this passage, how if you take the best seat of honor, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you're going somewhere and you, you see some person, they seem like they're talking to you and you kind of s- start talking to them. They're like, no, I'm not talking to you. And then they go back. Do you that sinking feeling you feel when you just feel kind of humiliated by that? I don't know if you've ever had a situation like this at, at a banquet where you go and they're, they're saying, don't take the seats of honor. So imagine that you go to a, a, a wedding and you go sit in the bride or the groom's chair. What's going to happen? Um, excuse me. Who are you and why are you there? And you'll be humiliated. Jesus says, rather, to to humble ourselves. Don't assume where we ought to be. But at the right time, you'll be exalted to the right place. We can be humble before the Lord, or we will be humiliated. The problem that, that we find is that we are often easy and able to forget who God is. I don't know why. If we look around creation, if we look at everything that he has done, all of the work of his hands, how can we forget how magnificent and marvelous and wonderful he is? But somehow people do. We do. But we must humble ourselves before him. Because when Jesus returns, there will be no denying who God is and who we are. There was a person that, had this experience in the Bible, perhaps one of the greatest followers of God um, by the Bible's own account, account of him, which is Job. Job is a devoted follower of the Lord, and, and God says so himself of him, and, and Satan asks to tempt Job. Forty-two chapters later, or 40-something chapters later, Job finally kind of has enough of everything, and he begins to in a subtle way, accuse God of doing this to him unjustly. Why have you done this to me? I don't deserve this. And God begins to go for two pretty much full chapters, rebuffing Job and explaining to him who God is and who Job is. Because God asked him, Well, tell me how it was when the world was created. Or or tell me how it is that this occurs or that occurs. All of these things that God has done that Job has no understanding, no knowledge, no ability to know. And at the end, Job is humiliated, which is a humbling by someone else. And Job's response to God is this, I know that you can do all things No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My eyes had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." And so this is what it looks like for us to intentionally humble ourselves before God. It is to gain a real awareness, to pursue a real awareness of who God is. Because Job says, I've heard about you, but now that I see who you are, I see these things, I realize that I don't compare to you. Just like the passage we read earlier, when I look around at what you've done, who is man that you are mindful of? Of Him. To humble ourselves before God first requires we understand who it is we're humbling ourselves under, who He is. And we also remember what He's done. Not only is He the one that created all, but He loves us. And He has graciously given us all things in Christ Jesus. We must also pursue self-awareness. Romans twelve three says, For the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. One of the things that we lack in this world at times, and I'm sure you've encountered it in others, and there's probably times where you've realized it about yourself, but we can really lack self-awareness. There's a reason I did not sing with the youth today. I I do have that much Uh, self-awareness. Bruce said amen. I'll call him out on that. Because he helped me, very much helped me, uh, to make sure we had some of the sound stuff right on Thursday. But to make sure that the mics were working, someone had to test them. And I was about the only person that was going to do that at the same time as playing it. And he said, you know, I would keep your day job. So you have to be aware of who you are. What is true about you? Especially the things you don't want to be aware of. What sin do you have in your life? What sin has separated you from God in the past? Who are you and what have you done? And when you look at God and you look at yourself, the only response will be the same response Isaiah had when he was confronted with God in the throne room. He says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he's confronted with God, he realizes, I'm undone. I can't can't stand a chance. It's like but even more of a, of a situation, a bunch of little league kids going out to play in a professional baseball game. Even greater than that is the disparity between us and our Creator. And so what that should do is lead us to pursue reverential awe of God and fear of God. And that fear is not this idea of being afraid of Him, but a, a real respect that we give to God. We know how that works in life. There are people we know we ought to respect. We should give the utmost respect, the fear, to the Lord. So what does it look like for a church to intentionally humble ourselves before God? It is a collective understanding and application of what we've talked about among many people within the church. Because the church is just the body of believers. When we come together, we will humble ourselves. We will have a fear for the Lord. We can humble ourselves before Him. And every time we see this happen in Scripture, it leads to repentance collectively and worship of God. A declaration of who He is and what He's done. And when this happens, the unimportant things, the distractions begin to fade away. The things that were the pursuit of the church or the people that were wrong begin to disappear in place of pursuit of the Lord. Last week we talked about seeking His face. When you humble yourself before the Lord, anything you have sought aside from Him or in place of Him will suddenly lose its attractiveness. One of the things I think we misunderstand about the Christian life is not just that we should cease from sinning in our life, we should attempt to follow God and be holy and no longer sin, but if we're looking at God, if we've humbled ourselves before Him, and that's what we're seeking, sin is no longer as attractive as it once was. We see it for what it is because compared to the holiness of God, we see sin for what it is. Evil. Rebellion against a Holy God. So we must humble ourselves intentionally. It takes a effort to do that, to deny ourselves. That's what Jesus says that, deny yourself, take up your cross. What does that mean? Humble yourself. Don't do what you want, follow the Lord. But we go on and we see that we should also intentionally humble ourselves before others. We should intentionally humble ourselves before others. At this passage, um, it's the idea of humility when arriving at a banquet. This is humility among people. We can apply that to God, but it's humility around people. We see multiple scriptures about this. Romans twelve six: Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Philippians 2, 3-4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Then we see that passage that follows, that having the same attitude of Christ who humbled himself. So what does it look like when we intentionally humble ourselves before others? Well, the first thing we must do is lay aside selfishness. Selfishness is what leads us to desire what we want above others. It's the same thing we do in relation to God, but it's in relation to other people. And the problem about this is we don't like doing that. We don't like denying ourselves and giving to others what they want. Because here's what we think. Somebody has to get what they want. Think about going out to eat. Some of you may have already been passing some notes about where you're going to go get lunch today. Some of you, it's a standing date. You don't have to even think about it anymore. But the the question, somebody's got to get what they want. Why shouldn't it be me? That's the sinful, fleshly attitude of selfishness. Well, I want this. Somebody's going to get what they want. Well, why shouldn't it be me? We have to lay that aside. We have to lay aside our own desires The Bible even says, as we read, valuing others above yourselves. We have to also pursue God's will and lay aside what is not His will. When we know what God wants us to do and how He wants us to interact with people, we have to lay aside what is not His will and pursue what is His will because this helps us to know what we ought to stand firm on. Because humility does not mean you never have a firm position. It means that your firm positions are not based upon your selfish desires. If someone asks you where you want to go to eat and you don't go where you want, that is okay. We can humble ourselves in those sorts of situations. But when someone comes to you and says, I don't believe that the Bible is God's Word... I don't believe that we ought to do what the Bible says any longer. It is not humility to say, whatever you want, that sounds good. That is disobedience to God and sinfulness. Because you must humble yourselves to God before you humble yourselves to people. And we humble ourselves to people because we have humbled ourselves to God. And so part of that is being willing to know when you stand firm But it's not because it's your will, your desires, but it's the desire of the Lord, the will of God. We must seek the good of others and remove the what about me mentality. What about me? That's hard, isn't it? You ever been taken advantage of? Someone ever borrowed something from you and not given it back? Someone ever uh, taken something from you and and, and just kind of didn't ever give you any benefit from it. There was nothing you saw from it. That's where this mentality creeps in. Well, what about me? Well, yeah, I guess I could let you do but what, what am I going to get out of it? What does this do for me? If I'm going to do something nice for you, I'm going to give you something, uh, what do I get out of it? We've got to remove that from ourselves. We have to have discernment here, though. There's a difference between allowing ourselves to be abused and, and trodden on by people and killing selfishness. We should not allow, we, we're not called to allow people to abuse us. Although at times, for the Lord, we do suffer abuse, as our Savior did. But we know we should know the difference between abuse and killing selfishness. We should also seek to be a person worthy of respect, rather than a person who is shown respect. This is something that I, I hold very near and dear to my heart, I think is very important. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I've interacted with, on, from, with a couple people since I've been here at times, is when people will ask me, well, what should we call you? And, I, and what they mean is usually, well, are you Pastor Hughes, Pastor Cole, Brother Cole, Brother Hughes? And oftentimes my response is, you can just call me Cole. And I don't mean for that to be an overly... I'm not trying to be overly humble in that. But my perspective is, is that if a person is asserting respect, if I were to demand someone call me something because of virtue of who I am, what does that lead to? Pride. I saw a video clip. I think it was actually Maya Angelou. It was a very similar interaction. This young girl comes up and asks her a question and says... Maya, uh, I wonder what you would think about this topic. And she says, first of all, it's either Miss Angelo, Dr. Angelo, not my first name. I don't know who you are. You don't know me. You don't have a right to call me that. She later apologized to her. But how many times do we have that sort of attitude among others? Do you know who I am? Do you know what authority I have? Do you know the people I know? The we shouldn't do that. Back to the first example. You'll never hear me correct someone that calls me Pastor Cole. I know it's a sign of respect, and I appreciate it. I don't seek it out. I don't mind being shown respect. But I don't want to be a person that seeks it. Because what I've seen happen far too often among pastors, and you've seen this, especially on the very large scale of large churches, big pastors, what always happens? They become prideful. Something happens because of their pride. So we should not seek to be people who are respected, but rather people who are worthy of respect. This goes back to that story. Don't sit at the best table. Let people place you where you ought to be. Then you'll be exalted. What does it look like? Those, Those who demand respect often are not worthy of it. What does it look like when a church intentionally humbles themselves before God? The end of preferences. When a bunch of people come together with this common attitude, it it very quickly becomes less of a problem on what exactly the church does, how the church does it, because everyone is in agreement that all we're trying to do is pursue God and do His will. Preferences end when we humble ourselves together. It's a pursuit of the common goal rather than other objectives and a church where all needs are met and all are well loved because when someone has a need, people are willing to selflessly meet it. We should also intentionally humble ourselves in prayer. The act of prayer requires humility. There are a few different types of prayer. I think they can be summed up pretty well between exaltation, declaring how great and wonderful God is, thanksgiving, thanking Him for what He's done for you, petition, requesting something of the Lord, asking Him to do something. This goes for yourself or for others. And then also confession and repentance. Confessing our sins to the Lord and repenting of them. And I believe that the prayer that this is talking about, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we've talked about that, and pray. I think it includes all of them. We have to exalt who God is and realize who He is. Humbling ourselves in prayer. Thanking Him for what He's done. And in doing so, reminding ourselves of what He has done for us. Petitioning the Lord to move, to act, to restore, all the while confessing and repenting of the sin that has gotten in the way of our relationship with him. We see this example played out perfectly in the book of Daniel in chapter 9. Which, if you know the book, Daniel and and some of his other people are in exile in Babylon, and he rises to a very high position. And at this point, he is kind of pretty much about as high as you can be in the kingdom. And we're going to pick up, and I'm going to read to you. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a by descent who was made a ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, exalting him who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. Confession and repentance. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us, because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings and our our princes, our ancestors, are covered with shame, Lord, because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You fulfilled the word you spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything He does, yet we've not obeyed Him. Now the Lord our God, who brought Your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for Yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all Your righteous acts, turn away Your anger and wrath from Jerusalem, Your holy city. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and Your people an object of scorn, to, all, to those all, all around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of, of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your, pe- for your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Now, I wanted to read all of that because did you not hear the exact same language we see in Chronicles? If my people who are called by my name, the people who bear your name, will humble themselves, I don't know much more of a, of a humble or humiliating thing to do than to cover yourself in sackcloth and ashes. It is to show this idea of being undone. Imagine the picture of a house that is burned down and you're sitting in its remains. That is the placing of yourself in that position. Humbling themselves. He's praying to God, seeking His face. What does He promise? That He will hear from heaven. He says, hear, listen, Lord. Open your eyes, see. What's the promise that comes? He's going to heal their land. We are not Daniel, but the principle applies. He's putting into action what we've seen in that verse. It's important to notice this. Daniel is a faithful man. If you've read that book, he's not a person that's doing all the wrong things. He's doing all the right things. But still, you heard how he prayed. He was not involved in the original rebellion. He's not, I don't believe, old enough to have been involved in that. Daniel has personally seen the favor of the Lord in his life. He's seen how the Lord has granted him wisdom, answers to visions, prosperity in his position, deliverance from enemies. But he still prays like that. And Daniel desires to see the favor of God on all those who are called by his name. It's not about Daniel. It's about following God. And it's about the people of God. Daniel desires to see the restoration of the people of Israel. And so the questions that you must answer today, have you decided that you will follow the Lord? Have you removed the if and placed it with an I will? Before we even ask that, do you know the Lord? Have you been saved by the grace available only in the name of Jesus? Have you trusted in Him for your salvation because of the work that He's done? Will you humble yourself before the Lord? Do you honestly, in your heart, answer for yourself. Do you honestly feel that you have an accurate view of who God is? If you don't, will you pursue it? Do you understand who you are or do you try to ignore who you are most of the time? Are you going to respond appropriately to who God is and who you are? Will you humble yourself before others, counting others as more significant than yourself, looking out for the interests of others? Will you seek the Lord in prayer? Not because you're the problem, not because you've done everything wrong, but because you want to see God move. Because you know that there are lost people in this world, in this community, perhaps in your family, your neighbors, your friends, And you want to see God move. And so you seek Him. You repent of what you've done or what others have done. And you ask Him to move. Will you do these things this morning? Will you humble yourself intentionally and pray to the Lord? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for this day You've given us. This time that we can come together and that we can just see what Your Word says. God, I pray that we would take heed to what it says, that we wouldn't be people who are prideful or arrogant or think more highly of ourselves than we should, but we would humble ourselves before you. That we would recognize you as who you are, the creator of all, sovereign over all, glorious and holy. God, would you move among us? God, I pray that you would help us to be humble in our interactions with others that we would embody the humility of Christ in the way that we deal with one another. And God, I pray that we can be a people who will pray, like Daniel did, like so many others have, that have sought You, that have humbled themselves, lowered themselves to the ground, and sought Your face, repenting and seeking You. Father, I pray that You would move among us this morning. That if anyone here does not know you, that they would turn to you today realizing their need of salvation and realizing it can only be found in you. And Father, for those of us that that know you, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts to be humble before you, to humble ourselves and to apply that to our life, to live as people who are humbling ourselves before you, who are humbling ourselves in our interactions with others and who are praying and seeking you. Father, hear our prayer. Open your ears to us. Look upon this world and see the evil that sin has wrought. Father, I pray that you would send your Spirit among us and that we would be your people who are obedient, who are called by your name, and would be faithful in making disciples of all nations, going as you've commanded. Move among us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.